Hallelujah. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Father, we just thank you for the time that we've already had in worship. But as we shift our attention to your word, I thank you that your word is alive. That it is quick, it is powerful, it divides between my thoughts and your thoughts. You said that you sent your word and it healed us. And so we thank you even as we preach this morning that bodies are being healed from the top of the head down to the soles of our feet. I thank you, Lord, that revelation knowledge is flowing this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, are you ready to continue on in our series this morning on the nature and character of God? We are deep into this series. I think we started 14 weeks ago. We've done about 12, this is week number 12 specifically on it. And man, we just got so much more to cover. And I was thinking, oh, we'll get done in September. And I'm like, I still got a ways to go. And John and I were talking on Friday. And he's just like, oh, it's just so good to talk about who God is and what his attributes actually are. Because the world has, a, has what they think God is like. And it often shapes a lot of what Christians think. That's, I, I find that so baffling that Christians are moved more with what the world thinks God is than what the Bible says he is. And so we need to be anchored in the truth of what God's nature is and what God's attributes are. And let's start where we started last week in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul said this while writing to Timothy. He said, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul said, I'm not ashamed because I know who. I know, not just I know about him, but I have a relationship. And that's where we've been talking about all these weeks is that God is knowable. God is discoverable. He's not someone who sits on a throne far, far away that you can't understand and can't know. No, the whole stories of the Bible is God talking and interacting with people. And I don't know where this idea came that he stopped doing that after Jesus and after the apostles. He had been doing it up until them, and suddenly he's like, oh, they don't need me anymore. No, no, no. He said, I'll be with you always, yea, until the ends of the ages. And so he's knowable, discoverable, understandable. He knows how to talk to you in a way that no one else can. He knows how to reveal himself to you and his attributes in a way that nobody else could ever describe them. So I'm fully pulling on the Holy Spirit that all these weeks that I've been preaching on these things, I believe that God's been talking to you. And God's been revealing himself to you. And so Paul says, because I know whom I believe, therefore I can be persuaded. I mean, I'm convinced. I can have faith is another way of saying it. He, he's saying persuaded. Persuaded is just another word for faith. Because I know him, I can have confidence. Yes. I can rest assured that what he said is so. Yes. And that he doesn't change. I love how the Amplified Bible says, he says, for I know him and I am personally acquainted with him. Oh, come on, I am personally acquainted. You don't need to know about God through Pastor Jordan. You need to be personally acquainted with him. You need to have a personal relationship and interactions with him. Because that's what's going to hold you. You're going to forget what I've said, but he's always going to be there. He's there to interact with you and speak with you. I'm personally acquainted with him, whom I have believed, and with absolute trust and confidence in him, and in the truth of his deity. And that's the important part and why I started there again. We need to know the truth of his deity. 
There's a lot of things that get said about God that are actually, actually not any of God's characters. They're not any of his nature. They're not any of his attributes. And so these last 14 weeks, we've been wanting to focus on what God actually is, who he actually is, what he's actually said, and what he actually wants to do. You ready? Yeah. Let's continue on where we left last week. We've been looking at the redemptive names of God, which we've said are attributes of God that are revealed in a name. And so throughout the Old Testament, as someone got a revelation of a character attribute, God would reveal it through a name. And so we've already talked about God, Jehovah Shammah. He is the God who is there. We've talked about him being our Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But the last two weeks, we've been spending talking about him being our Jehovah Ra'ah, or the Lord my Shepherd. And I love what we read from Charles Spurgeon last week where he said, you know, you have to understand when he says he's the Lord, my shepherd, it doesn't matter if he's shepherd to everybody else. He is your personal shepherd. He is the one that personally takes care of you. Come on. He's personally invested in you. And that hasn't changed. And so when David said in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the same way he is with you today. David understood what a shepherd was because David was the young shepherd boy. He grew up looking after the sheep. He took care of them. And reflecting back on how he had interacted with God, he realized, oh my goodness, God's a shepherd just like I was. And that's why David was able to understand that attribute, because he saw how his heart was when he was taking care of the sheep, and he realized God's heart is the same way for us. And so God is our shepherd, and I want to continue on in that theme for a little bit this morning, and then we'll move on to a new, a new character attribute. But in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and my, I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. And we've been saying throughout this whole time that every attribute we see in the Old Testament should also be reflected in Jesus. Because Jesus is the fullness of God revealed. And so if it was in the Old Testament as an attribute of God, we should see it reflected in Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't make you wonder, is God still the shepherd today? No, he says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own sheep. And I am known by my own. So let's back up to the first of John chapter 10 and go to verse 1. And we were telling you last week that in John chapter 10, the reason why they're having that conversation is because of what just happened in John chapter 9. And that's why we always have to read the Bible in context. You can't just take one verse out and say, oh, this is what it means. What was happening going on around it? And it starts in verse number 1 of chapter 9 where his disciples come to him and they see, they see this man who has been born blind from birth. And they ask Jesus, whose sin was it, the man born blind or his parents, that he is this way? And so they were looking for who do we blame? Whose fault is it? Is it the baby, that the baby was born blind? Or did the parents do something to cause this to happen? And that's just human nature. We're always looking for someone to blame. And Jesus just flat out says, neither. 
It wasn't his fault, and it wasn't the parents' fault. And because he's right here before me, I must work the works of him who sent me. Come on, it doesn't matter how you got to the situation that you're in. God wants to deliver you out of it. And if you're standing before the Father, the Father wants to deliver. The Father wants to transform. The Father wants to bring healing. And so it doesn't matter how you got to that point, God still delivers. And we have to put emphasis on that because some people feel so much shame and so much blame because they look at themselves and they say, I haven't done it right. I haven't been good. I haven't been kind. Oh, I must be a sinful person. God could never love me. And that's a bunch of hogwash. It doesn't matter how you got to your situation. God loves you. God wants to transform you. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus just puts it right out. He says, it's not his fault. It's not their fault. I'm going to heal it. And he shoves some mud in the guy's eyes. And he tells him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. He goes and does it. And his eyes are open. And people are like, hey, wasn't that the guy who was blind from birth? And they're like, no, no, it's just somebody who looks like him. And he's like, no, it was me. And so because of the notable miracle that had been done, and it happened on the Sabbath. Which you think would be a day that that's something worthy of honor of God. God just healed this man's eyes, but it didn't. It pissed off the Pharisees. And so they drag him before the council, and, and they're like, how did this happen? And he tells them, well, there was a man. He stuffed, shoved some mud in my eyes, told me to wash, and I went and did it, and now I can see. And that didn't make the situation better. It actually made them even more mad. Come on, isn't that religion? They take a good thing and they twist it to make it be a bad thing. Come on, God's deliverance is a good thing. And so they bring his parents in before the council and they say, tell us what happened. And they're like, we don't know. He's old. You ask him. He can answer. And, they, and it says that they said that because they heard that anybody who was following Jesus, they were kicking out of the temple. And so they didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to lose their position. They didn't want to lose the status of being able to go with the rest of society to the temple. So they were, weren't willing to celebrate with their own son out of fear of what everybody else thought. Come on. How sad is that? This is a day they should be celebrating with their son because he was born blind from birth. And here now he can see they should be like, great, we don't have to lead you around everywhere. Now you can go get a job and support yourself. But rather, they cared more about what everybody else thinks. Come on, we got to stop looking. Who cares what your neighbor thinks? Who cares what another church thinks? Who cares what the government thinks? Serve God. Follow God. Believe God. Celebrate God. Heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the 5,000, do whatever you got to do. Don't be afraid of man. And so they say, we don't know what happened. You ask him. And so it come, they bring him back in, and they say, tell us what happens. And he says, I already told you, and you didn't believe. Do you want me to tell you again so that you can be his follower too? And that just really, really, really ticked them off just got their blood boiling and they said to him you are full of your sins and they booted him out of the temple and isn't that like religion to put the emphasis back onto your sin when Jesus has come to set you free and in the body of Christ today we see the same thing everything gets brought back to sin 
what you've done, what you haven't done. You've got to do it this way. Don't do it that way. And God's saying, why don't you just come to me? I know how to handle you. I know how to change you. I know how to transform you. And so he, they kick him out of the temple, and here we see the shepherd coming. It says, when Jesus heard that they put him out of the temple, he went and found him. And he said, do you believe on the son who's been sent? He's like, I don't know who he is. And he says, it's me. And he said, I believe. Man, I believe. And that's what happened to get us to John chapter 10, where now Jesus is standing with the blind man, who, the man who was born blind. He's standing with his disciples, and the Pharisees are right there listening, and Jesus begins to speak to them all. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so he points out, he's like, God does not need to manipulate you, does not need to coerce you. He doesn't need to try and push you and force you and make you go a certain way. He knocks on the door, and if you open, he comes in. Come on. The shepherd will never force himself to be your shepherd. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, I will dine with him, and he with me. And so Jesus says, Here, I'm going to stand at the door of your life. And if you open it up and say, Jesus, come on in. I need you. He'll come in. And he'll sit with you. He'll bring what is needed. He'll bring health. He'll bring restoration. He'll bring opportunity. He'll bring all good things that you need. It says, if the father didn't hold back his son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so the shepherd will not force himself to lead you. The shepherd will not force himself to feed you. The shepherd will not force himself to protect you. But when you say, God, I want you in that place, he says, I'm coming through the door. So he says, he who enters through the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And when he said the ones that jump in another way are a thief and a robber, you know who he was talking to? The Pharisees who were also standing there listening. Man, and this just makes things worse. But he says this in verse 3, he says, to him, the doorkeeper opens. Who is the doorkeeper of your life? And God will never do anything in your life that you don't welcome him into, don't believe him to do, and say, Father, this is what I need. He will not force his way through the door. But there's also an interesting aspect. When you look at the word here that's used for door, in its general sense, it literally means a door. You all walked through one when you walked in. But in a metaphorical sense, the word thyra in the Greek means an open door and is used of an opportunity of doing something. Come on, let's think about this for a second. It says an opportunity of doing something. He stands at the door of your life and he'll bring opportunity, but he doesn't force things to happen. 
You'd be surprised at how much opportunity is standing right before you right now in this season. And you may say, well, you don't, haven't seen my life, Pastor Jordan. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how it seems like every door is shut and everyone just doesn't like me and it just doesn't seem like I can't get ahead. You've got to look with God's eyes because there's a door of opportunity standing before you today. Man, I love what Oral Roberts wrote a long, long time ago. He said that every day there are opportunities passing you by every moment. Which one are you going to grab hold of and believe God for? And so there's an open door of opportunity standing before you today. So he says in verse 3 again, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. When we open up the door to God in our lives, He will lead us. Now, by default, that means that you need to stop leading. There can only be one leader. And if He's wanting to go one way and you're wanting to go to the other, that's not him leading and you following that's you being on the throne of your own life but there's only one spot available and it's for him and so he will lead you and last week we looked at how Jesus said to his own disciples hey what do you guys think about this he's like if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost will he not go leave the 99 and go find the one and the answer is yeah he will do that but where was that one supposed to be with the 99 and so he will come to your rescue when you've been trying to go your own way and lead your own life. But your place was not to be lost. Your place was to be with the 99 where he leads. You know, think about this in Christian culture today. We often glorify those who have radical transformations. Like, we hear them like, oh, yeah, I was, I was a drug addict, and I was ready to kill, kill myself, and then God appeared to me, and, you know, it was so great. I became a Christian, and he's transformed my life. And those testimonies are great, but they're just as powerful as the one who's been following God all of their life and never strayed. Come on, because he will lead us in his paths of righteousness. He will show us where to go. And I don't have to stray to be saved. I can follow all the days of my life. And so we don't need to exalt one over the other. They're both just as powerful. He'll save you if you're the one that's lost, but he'll also lead you when you're the 99. And he calls you by name, and he leads them out. He needs, knows you personally. He knows you intimately. And so where we said in verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. And so he goes on to talk on that same theme for a little bit, and eventually he says to the, this, to the Pharisees that are standing there, and says to them, you guys see. He talks to the disciples and says, you guys see, and the ones who aren't following, they're blind. And the, the Pharisees said, are you calling us blind? <laughs> Come on. This is just this, the whole story of two chapters just keeps getting worse and worse for these Pharisees that are listening in. And he says to them in verse 26, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone 
snatch them out of my hand. This is a picture of the security that we have in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens or what you go through or who comes against you, you can't be wrestled from the grasp of Almighty God, our Savior Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what happens, you will never lose that security once you've invited the shepherd into your life. And he says, no, they're going to have eternal life. They're never going to perish. But in the next verse, he says, and my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of his hand either. That's a double security. If Jesus wasn't strong enough, guess what? He's backed up by God. He says, you are safe and secure in the hand of the shepherd. And he says, I and my father are one. And so this last attribute of the great shepherd is that he speaks, we listen. He leads, we follow. And it's important that we are open to listen. And it's important that we are willing to follow because he is the shepherd and that's what his job is to do. He takes you to those still waters. He takes you to the green pastures. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life as you follow him. Isn't that what Paul said? He said to his followers, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Whew. Come on. So Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in those green pastures. He leads me beside those still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, so last week I said, when we read through that verse, that we were going to talk about a new attribute of God this week. And it had, we can jump right off at this point right here. He restores my soul. That's talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. He is able to bring peace out of the chaos that this world has sown into your thoughts and into your mind. He is able to bring you back to a centered place of emotional health. Come on. There's so many people that are struggling with mental health issues. And those are very real issues. And there's a, there's a little bit that you can find help in the world. But I can find an even greater help in Jesus, my shepherd. He restores my mind, my will, and my emotions. And then he leads me in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so the name of God that I want to continue on with this morning is I want to introduce you to Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, what we need to understand about this, it's not Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is righteous. It doesn't say Jehovah has righteousness. It says Jehovah is our righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. The actual definition in the New Testament of righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be. The state of him who is as he ought to be. When you opened that door to the shepherd and said, come into my life, Jesus, lead me and I will follow. You be my God and I will be your child. When you stepped in, 
Paul said that you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away, and behold, all things became new. And at that moment, everything you were died, and you became the righteousness of God, and you were placed into right standing with him. You now sit in the state of him who is as he ought to be by the work of Jesus and not by your own. And that's why when we focus in John chapter 9 where the disciples said, whose sin is it? The boy or the parents? And religion has made everything about sin when it should be about the righteousness in which you stand. Jehovah's sin canoe does not give you righteousness. He becomes your righteousness. Because if you give it, you can lose it. But if he holds the standard, he can't change. Come on. Your righteousness is the same yesterday, today, and forever because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing you do, ever have done, or ever will do will change his opinion of you. He solidified it in his righteousness. He is your righteousness. And so let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23. You doing all right this morning? Jeremiah chapter 23. And here in this chapter, Jeremiah is writing at the end of the age where the children of Israel are about to be carried off into slavery for a number of years into, into Babylon and then into Persia. And he is writing as the kingdom is collapsing and he begins to, my phone is talking to me, shut up. He is looking about what's about to happen, and he begins to prophesy about the situation the nation of Israel has found themselves. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 23 and verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Jehovah. Woe to shepherds who have destroyed and scattered the sheep of my pasture. The people who had been leading Israel for the last number of years have gone from bad to worse and Jeremiah has been trying to counsel the last few kings and each one just keeps getting worse and ignoring at one point they're like whatever you tell us to do we're going to do it Jeremiah and he says this is what God says to do it and they go uh, we don't want to do that and they locked him in a dungeon <laughs> and so just because they you think you're going to follow God you need to make the decision that it doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is on my flesh I'm still going to follow through what God has asked me to do and so he's now looking back at these leaders that he's counseled and he says woe to you shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture therefore says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people you have scattered my flock you have driven them away, and you've not attended to them. And behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. This is not a good position for them to be in. God asked them to go one way, and they went another, and now the people are suffering because of it. And God is like, no, this is not going to happen any lo longer. I'm removing these shepherds out of the way. And he says that after that point, in verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Come on, that's God's intention when the shepherds are following the great shepherd, that you be fruitful and increase. He said, I'll bring them back. 
And I will then give them shepherds over them who will feed them. And they won't fear anymore, nor will they be dismayed, nor will they be lacking, says Jehovah. And so he's like, I said, there's going to be a time where they've been scattered away because of the poor shepherds. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to give them new shepherds. That's talking about the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what happened. They went off into exile for a number of years, and then God brought them back. He rebuilt the, te the temple. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and they went on. But Jeremiah, as he's seeing these things and saying these things, he begins to look beyond where Israel is in that day and what's coming up for them, and he begins to look a little further. And in verse 5, he says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Behold, the days are coming, and I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. And his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. And now this is the name by which he will be called Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Who was Jeremiah seeing? He was seeing Jesus, the king that would come from David's line, who would stand up and execute judgment and righteousness. Now, when, it, when we hear, read that and we hear a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment, Christians have been conditioned to think that judgment is a bad thing. If you're innocent, should you be fearful going before a righteous judge? No. So when you hear the word judgment, you don't have to get concerned. Because we often hear prophets and pastors get up and be like, Oh, God is going to judge his people. He already did it on the back of Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin for me. And so we don't have to be concerned about judgment when you stand before the righteous judge and you have been declared righteous by Jesus. And so Jesus would execute judgment and righteousness in this earth. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's just take a quick turn in there. 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 21, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Think about that. Jesus said, God, I trust that you know how to judge properly, so I commit yourself, myself, into your hands. And in the same way, he, he still judges righteously over you. And it says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And so this is why I have a problem with so much of the church world making everything about sin. He said, we've died to sin. And because we're dead to sin, we now get to live for righteousness. We get to live in right standing because of Jesus. 
And it says, for you were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He knows how to keep you. He knows how to lead you. Our job is just to follow. Because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your righteousness is no longer based upon what you've done. The old covenant was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. The new covenant is believe Jesus and all of heaven is poured out for you. I am the righteousness of God in him. He is my Jehovah Sidkenu. He's my righteousness. As Paul told the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 13, and you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made you alive together with him, having forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Is that past, present, or future tense? Past. Having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which were contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So he has become our right standing before God so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace whenever we're in a time of need and find help and find grace. I love what D David wrote in Psalm chapter 89 and verse 13. He says, saying of God, he said, You have a mighty arm, and strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Now get this in verse 15. And blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance, and in your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. They are lifted up. He says righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne, and those who know the joyful sound celebrate. Come on, there's no more need for broke, busted, and disgusted, depressed, Christians anymore. It says, know the joyful sound and celebrate. In your name we rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness we're lifted up. Hallelujah. So he restores my soul. And he leads me in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And inevitably when we preach this, People always say, well, what, won't people just continue sinning, Pastor Jordan? No, because we've been declared righteous, he now leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not even for your sake, for his sake. He knows how to transform a heart. He knows and knows how to change the want to. I love what Smith Wigglesworth did one time. There was a lady that came to him, and she was a dancer, which was an old name for a stripper. Come on, let's just put it right where it was. And she said, I want to serve God, but I don't want to stop dancing. And so he said to her, go ahead and serve God and dance as much as you want to. And people were like, you can't tell her that. Well, she came and found him about a week later and said, you know what? As I started following God, I no longer want to. We got to let God change our want to rather than religion do our, you were forced to.
Come on. He knows how to lead you in paths of righteousness for his own sake. We need to stop trying to establish our own righteousness because then we find ourselves in the same position that Israel was. Paul said in Romans 10, for they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they were seeking to establish their own right standing and they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so we first, above all else, we submit ourselves to God and say, God, I thank you that you have brought me into right standing before you. I thank you that you've put me into the state of being as I ought to be. Now lead me in your steps. I'll follow where you go. Because the next verse says, For Christ is the end of the law, and righteousness is to everyone who believes. When we opened the door to the shepherd and said, Come on in. I heard you knocking. I accept you in. I receive you as my shepherd. He brought all you'll ever need and declared you righteous. And so Paul makes the declaration, awake unto righteousness and do not sin. The first step is understand how righteous you've been made and that enables you to stop sinning. You first awake unto your right standing and God begins to work on the heart and transform you from the inside out. Now, we're focusing on today on him being Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is my righteousness. And when people talk about sin, you have to also look at one of the minor names of God that we're not going to spend much time on. But he is also Jehovah Mekadesh. He is the Lord who sanctifies. He is the Lord who cleanses. He is the Lord who perfects. He knows how to perfect you. He knows how to lead you in his steps. And in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord, am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Righteousness is a gift that he gives. Sanctification is is a choice to walk the path that he's put before you, the path of righteousness. He said to them, you consecrate yourself. What does consecrate mean? It means, God, I set myself aside for your use and your work. Holiness doesn't mean being perfect. Holiness is about being available. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to follow. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy that in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And the first thing we need to understand is that all of the vessels were in the house. Right? The gold ones, the silver ones, the wood ones, the clay ones, they were all in the house. They were all part of the house of God and in the family of God, but not all of them were useful for work because they've not taken that decision to say, God, I'm going to walk your path of righteousness. I will be what you've made me to be, but my choice is to follow, and I'm going to listen to what you say, and I will follow you, and whatever you want me to do, 
I'm going to do it. You want me to go apologize to that person that I just sassed off even though I don't want to? I'm going to go do it. You want me to stop yelling and berating at my spouse? I'm going to do it. You want me to stop being in sexual perversion? I'm going to do it. Those are choices we make to stand and walk in the paths of righteousness that he leads in us for his own sake. And so there's many vessels in the house of God, but not all of them are useful. But when we separate ourselves off and say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do, there's an empowerment to walk out of righteousness. I don't have to do it. I choose to do it. And so Paul says, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. God, you restore my soul, and you lead me in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So, Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd. You're the good shepherd. You know us, our our ins and outs. You know us by name, but we also acknowledge this morning that we recognize your voice, and we choose to follow that. God, I thank you that you've become righteousness for me, that I can be righteous because you've declared it. And I choose to stand in the place that you have called me to. I choose to walk in the paths that you've called me to walk. God, I consecrate myself anew to you this morning. I separate myself unto you for your use. And I thank you for it. I will go where you want me to go, Lord. And I will do what you want me to do. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now maybe you've been watching us online this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. You haven't opened up that door to invite the shepherd in. We want to give you a chance right now, give you a moment to do that. There's no better decision that you could ever make than right now accepting the good shepherd. So church, let's pray with them and say, Father, I ask for Jesus. I invite him into my life right now. I believe that you raised him from the dead and I declare him as Lord right now. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just prayed that prayer with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We would like to get some resources into your hands, get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. We would love to walk this journey together with you. Guys, just a moment. Our word care team is going to be right up here at the front. And they would love to pray with you, believe with you, whatever it is. If you want to celebrate with someone, you got a testimony to share, you need someone just to be there for you and bring comfort, take advantage of them. They would love to pray with you. If you want to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. Or there's envelopes in the seat and the basket at the back. Whatever you choose to do, we just say thank you. But Father, we just thank you for your grace this morning, Lord. Hallelujah. And we thank you for your peace, Lord, which passes understanding. Yes. We glorify you, Lord. Yes. And we follow after you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. Let's do one of the most important parts of church. Let's have some coffee and good conversation. You guys are all blessed.